Good morning and Merry Christmas. Welcome to all of those folks who are joining us by Facebook. We hope that you'll be able to worship along with us as we sing to the King of all kings. You know, we were talking about this back, backstage, and that is that, you know, it's just a, such a great privilege and honor that we are stepping into the presence of God, you know, as a congregation. And he said, where two or more are gathered in his name, he will be there. So he's here, y'all. Well, that was Southern, wasn't it? He's here, y'all. He's here, you guys. Uh, anyway, it's not getting any better. Let's uh, let's stand and sing, because here comes God. My soul praises the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. The mighty one has done great things for me.
fields and keeping watch over their flock by night, when an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good tidings of great joy, what shall be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The people of God said, Amen. Please be seated.
Will you stand with us and let's sing together? Emmanuel, Hollywood Manger Ground. Megan and Sarah to, to sing the song Be Born in Me, which is which is called Mary's Song. So uh, just in, enjoy this. Let it soak in uh, and maybe bless your spirit. Shadow and angel 
Thank you, ladies. Good morning. It's good to see you. Welcome as we worship together at Christmas time. If you uh, enjoy reading, then I encourage you to consider reading Christian biographies. The life stories of great Christians illustrate truth in a way that really brings it home. And uh, so I have uh, put out my top 10 Christian biographies in our newsletter this last week in the library of the window today. And our library has uh, most of those top 10 available now that you can pick out. We'll have the rest of them available later this week. So this is just mine. There uh, are many others. These are just those that have impacted me that I've read. And some of you have contributed other ideas, and I appreciate you sharing those with me. So I encourage you to, to check out those Christian biographies. If you've never read a Christian biography before, then I want to recommend to you some books by Eric Metaxas that our bookstore has for sale called Seven Men in the Secret of Their Greatness, Seven Women in the Secret of Their Greatness. Gives you just a brief introduction uh, to um, the biographies of great Christians, and you might want to read uh, more on some of them. So this month in preparation for Christmas, I'm sharing a series of sermons on Christmas biographies. And uh, last week, I shared with you the biography of Joseph. Next week, we're going to do the biography of Jesus, and that'll be a little bit different. I want to encourage you to come, something I've never done exactly before, a little different next Sunday as I present. I'm not going to, nothing real different, I'm not going to juggle watermelons or anything, but just a little bit, little bit different next Sunday. Uh, So, uh, Never done it exactly this way before, so I encourage you to come. So today is the biography of of Mary. So when we first meet Mary in Scripture, she's a young woman, probably a teenager, living in Nazareth. It's an exciting time in her life. She's engaged to be married. She's betrothed to Joseph. But something happens an angel named Gabriel appears to her and she's startled. And I begin reading to you the story in Luke chapter 1, verse 30. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You'll conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He'll be great, will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And how will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I'm a virgin. And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. So for now, uh, for no word from God will ever fail. Mary, even though she didn't understand, submitted to the will of God. I am the Lord's servant. Verse 38, Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. What news to get? Mary was confused. She had heard the part about Elizabeth, who was a relative of hers, who was an old woman, and that she was expecting. And so Mary made preparations to go visit Elizabeth. When you're in a strange situation, you gain comfort from others who have similar circumstances. And so she wants to go talk to Elizabeth. And she makes the journey south to Judea and some village there. And I pick up in verse 41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, Mary calls out to her as she comes in the house and Elizabeth hears her before she even sees her and the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and a loud voice she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And Mary was also filled with the Spirit and shared these words. I share part of what we call Mary's song, her statement here. 
Beginning in verse 46, Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Mary stayed with Elizabeth until she delivered about three more months, and then Mary returned north home to Nazareth. By this time, Mary would have been three to four months pregnant. And so there's Joseph. Your fiancé's been away on a trip for three or four months. And she comes back three or four months pregnant. And Joseph, sadly, determines to divorce her. And then an angel appears to him and says to him the same message. Joseph, take her as your wife. She has not sinned. What is in her is conceived of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph also submits to the Lord's will. A census is decreed. Near the end of her pregnancy, Joseph and Mary make the journey to Bethlehem, his ancestral home, to pay the tax, to register for the census. And there Mary delivers. They're in a place where animals are kept she lays her child in a manger for a cradle and that night something else strange happens these shepherds come in and say we've heard about the baby angels appeared to us and told us that the messiah had been born the lord had come a savior had been given to us and that we would find him lying in a manger that would be the sign and i want to read to you Luke 2.19, Mary's response to this was, but Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. Mary was taking all of this in. Wise men later came, and here are these king-like figures who kneel before her little son and lay down gifts before him, prostrate themselves before him in worship. And then when he's 12 years old, they lose him at the temple. They go back and get him. And he says, I must be in my father's house. And this same phrase is repeated in Luke 2.51. Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. Mark Lowry is a Christian comedian and was a member of the uh, Bill Gaither Quartet. And he wrote what's become a Christian standard song. Mary, did you know? Mary, did you know? That your baby boy was Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nations? Did she? Mary, did you know? Hold that thought for a moment, if you will. When Jesus grows up, 30 years old or so, he begins his ministry. Begins to gather disciples, begins to preach. And early on in their ministry, Jesus and his disciples and his mother Mary are guests at a wedding in Cana. Let me read to you the first five verses of John's uh, gospel in chapter 2, John 2, 1 through 5. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. She tells Jesus this, Jesus, they're out of wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And you may know the rest of the story how Jesus then um, makes wine out of water and provides for the wedding guests. But do you see Mary here? She she knows that he's that that something is different. She knows he has power, and in this occasion, she turns to him and says, "Do whatever Jesus tells you to do." Mary, did you know? At this point, I want to pause for a moment uh, to set up the next scripture and share with you the difference between what Protestants believe about Mary and what Roman Catholics believe about Mary. People often ask me, what are the differences in in various uh, branches of Christianity? Well, one of the differences between the Roman Catholic Church and Protestants, that is, we're 
we Baptists, Methodists, Presbyterians are all inheritors of the Protestant Reformation. One of the differences is that we believe that the Bible alone is our authority for belief and practice. Whereas the Roman Catholic Church believes that uh, the traditions and teachings of the church are also authoritative and also infallible. So that's a, that's a major difference. And so the things that I would teach about Mary are only those that come uh, from the Bible. But Roman Catholics have three dogmas about her life, dogmas or doctrines they call them, that I want to share with you that, that they ought believe that are not found in the Bible. Number one, they believe in the immaculate conception of Mary. That is, not that she had a virgin birth, but that at her birth she was preserved from original sin. Because Roman Catholic doctrine is that original sin is passed on, and that's, you know, you baptize infants because of that original sin. Well, what about Jesus? Well, they say that Mary, at her conception, was kept from, not a virgin birth, but at her conception was kept from original sin. Now, that was believed by Catholics or debated, but in 1864, Pope Pius IX officially taught that and when a pope officially teaches that encyclical magisterial teaching then all Catholics have to believe that it becomes an infallible doctrine so relatively recently that happened and then second they believe in the perpetual virginity of Mary that is they believe that that Mary and Joseph never had the relations of husband and wife and Mary never had more children and third they believe in the bodily assumption of Mary I might use the word ascension, but they use the word assumption. That is, they believe that Mary bodily ascended, soul and body went up into heaven, had a different ending to her life, similar to that of Jesus. And very recently, in 1950, although that had been taught, but you could believe one way or the other, but in 1950, that was made an official teaching of the Catholic Church by Pope Pius XII and became part of their infallible doctrine there as well. So those things are not taught in the Bible. And those are things that Ro- uh, Roman Catholics believe um, that Protestants don't. And I share that because I want to share with you the next verse about Mary. Mark chapter 6, verse 3, I think tells us that Jesus had brothers and sisters. In Mark 6, 3, those who didn't believe in Jesus asked, isn't this the carpenter? They're sort of skeptical. Who? He's just a carpenter. Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. They said, hey, he's just one of us here in Nazareth. They didn't believe in him. But in the context, they tell us the four names that Jesus had, four brothers. And it says he had sisters, plural. So that's at least two, right? Could be three, could be four, but at least two. So Jesus had at least six siblings, four brothers, and at least Uh, two sisters. Roman Catholics would say, well, maybe these were uh, Joseph's children from a previous marriage and he was a widow and then married Mary. Hard for me to see that, that he had had six or seven or eight children. Then his wife died. Then when he goes to Bethlehem, he only goes with her and it is only he and the child and Mary who spend two or three years in Egypt and come back. A little hard for me to see. Much more likely for me to believe that Joseph and Mary became after her birth a normal married couple and that they had at least six other children or Jesus had four half-brothers and at least two half-sisters. And that brings us to the next thing in Mary's life. There came a time when Mary and Jesus' four brothers went to seize him, to take charge of him, because they believed he was out of his mind. I want to read to you in Mark chapter 3, verse 20 and following. In Mark chapter 3, it says, verse 20, Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he's out of his mind. Now, a little bit later, Mark's going to identify, we're going to see it, stay with me, the verses we'll read, is going to identify that the family members were his mother and his brothers. Mark, as he writes his gospel, has a writing technique called sandwiching. Don't you like a good sandwich? And so sandwiching means he starts a story, that's the bread, then he switches to another story, the meat of the story, and then he comes back to finish the first part of the story. 
he's do, he, he sandwiches one story around another to show you that these two things go together. You get it? So he starts out here by telling us, here are his family coming to take control of Jesus because they think he's lost his mind. Then he's going to tell another story. So um, Mary and his brothers are coming, and you say, well, what's happened here? What, the one who pondered all these things in her heart and the one who at the wedding said, do whatever he tells you to do, how does it come to this that they think he is mentally unstable and they come to, the word is take custody or take charge, but I would translate it seize. These four brothers are going to forcibly drag him out. It's the same word used in the arrest of Jesus in Mark 14 where they seized him and arrested him. Same word where I think it was Mark himself, a young man was in the garden, Mark 14, and they tried to grab him and they seized him and he just got his coat and he ran away naked. Uh, And it's the same word there. They were going to lay hands on Jesus. Why? Why would it, how could it come to this with all that Mary knew? Well, let me ask you. Hadn't there been times when you know some things about God, but circumstances of your life caused you to doubt them? And what does a mother want for her child? Moms, what do you want? We want your kid, you want your kids to eat, right? He couldn't eat. Oh, you got to eat something. He's, he's, he's gone crazy. Have time to eat. You want him to have a home. He had no home. You want him to have a good job, right? Isn't that what you want for your kids? Jesus had nowhere to live he had no money he had no job he had a ragtag bunch of former fishermen and tax collectors surely this isn't what the wise men meant for him and besides that the people who should know say he's demon possessed let's get to the meat of the sandwich the very next verse verse 22 so we've got the bread his family's coming to take charge of him now here's the meat and verse 22 and the teachers of the law who came down from jerusalem said he is possessed by beelzebul by the prince of demons he is driving out demons so when you've got the the experts the people who know saying he's he's uh, either demon possessed or he's lost his mind And so here's the other part of the sandwich, verse 31. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call to him. So they're standing outside the house where he's teaching. So crowded they can't get in and they don't really want to go in and drag him out and make a scene anyway. So they send a message in and... uh, Uh, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Verse 32, a crowd was sitting around him. He's teaching. And they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Jesus knows why they have come. And so Jesus does not go out to meet his mother and his brothers. Instead, he redirects attention to his family of believers And he says in verse 33, who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus says, I'm creating a new family where everyone is welcome, where anyone can be a part of. And those who do my will have a bond to me, a relationship to me. Of older women become my mother, of men become my brothers, of women become my sisters. The church is a new family of God. If you need a family and you don't have a family, or your family has thought you crazy, or your family has disowned you, or whatever your circumstance may be, Jesus creates a new family where you can have a sense of belonging and love and acceptance, and that's where he directs his attention. He's not being mean to his mother, but he will not even allow even his mother or his brothers mistakenly take him from doing the will of God. Before you're too hard on Mary and saying, what is wrong with her? You know? She had the shepherd, she had the wise men, she knew this was a virgin birth. She, of all people, knew the beginning of Jesus. What's wrong with her? Then I would ask those of you who grew up in church, have you stuck with it the whole way consistently? Have some of you not had the faith trajectory like that of, of Mary? 
Have there not been things that you were taught and you knew, and yet life happens, or somebody teaches you something and causes you to doubt, causes you to drift? Before you're too hard on Mary, hadn't there been some times in your life when you should have known better? Let me ask you that question one more time. Mary, did you know your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Something happened to Mary. She made another turn. She made a turn back to Jesus. I'm not sure exactly what happened. Maybe it was the cross because Mary was there when, she was when Jesus was crucified. Let me read to you John chapter 19, beginning in verse 25. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there, the disciple whom he loved, we think that's John who wrote this gospel, standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here's your son from the cross. As he's dying, he says, Woman, here's your son. And to the disciple, here's your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Maybe it was the cross of Jesus as he forgave his enemies and died there for us. Or maybe it was the resurrection. You see, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus, as it lists his resurrection appearances, it lists James. And it does not mean James the disciple. They've already been listed before. It means James the half-brother of Jesus, whose name we saw in Mark 6.3. Jesus appeared to James. And James, who had been a skeptic and the Bible says did not believe, came to believe in Jesus at the resurrection. And James later went on to be the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, the half-brother of Jesus, write a book in the Bible. He became a great leader. Maybe Mary was there and saw his resurrection appearance as well. All that we know is the last time that Mary is mentioned in the Bible is in Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. After Jesus has ascended to heaven, it says in Acts 1, 12, then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, son of James. That's the 11. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women that's Mary Magdalene, Salome, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. And now she's become a disciple of Jesus, follower of Jesus. And Mary has become a believer. She had heard the words from those shepherds that the angel had said, Savior, Lord, Messiah. But now he had become her Savior, her Lord, her Messiah. Do you see the faith trajectory of Mary's life? She treasured things in her heart. She was certain that Jesus could do miraculous things. She came to a point where she thought he had lost his mind. And maybe even what the religious leaders said was true that he was demon-possessed. But then she came through the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus to see, to understand that this was part of his plan, this rejection was a part of his plan, that it didn't fit the preconceived ideas that she had, but that he nonetheless was the Son of God. And Mary was there in that upper room when the day of Pentecost came and the Holy Spirit was poured out upon men and women and young and old and the church caught fire for Jesus Christ. So maybe, maybe you can identify with Mary's story. I want to talk to those of you that grew up going to church. Or you had a mother or grandmother or somebody taught you about God. And as a kid, you believed. You heard the Bible stories and you believed them. But then somewhere along in your life, things happened. 
you doubted or you drifted. Tragedies came that made you really wonder if that stuff was just fairy tales that you'd heard as a child. Or you got some teaching where you thought you were a little bit smarter and got a bigger, wider worldview that outgrew a biblical worldview. And you thought, no, he's, he's, not, he's not who I thought he was. Life is not what I thought it was. I want to say to you, you can come back. Mary did. You can recover the truth that you once knew. Yeah, life doesn't go the way you think it did and you thought you had it all figured out, but those fundamental truths are still true even though they haven't been carried out in life the way you expected they would and the way you thought your life was going to go. Would you follow that faith trajectory of Mary? And would you come to recover that sense of wonder at Jesus that he is Lord and Messiah? Would you become a follower of him? As she did. I want to close by telling you another Christian biography. It comes from the book by Eric Metaxas, Seven Women and the Secret of Their Greatness. And I share this story because it's the story of another mother. Uh, sometimes those who are stay-at-home moms feel themselves to be unproductive, not making a difference as if they had another career and don't have exciting stories to tell. And I want you to see from the life of Mary and from the life of Susanna Wesley that mothers have a greater impact than perhaps anyone else in the world. Susanna Wesley was born in 1669. She was a a brilliant young lady. She was well-read. When she was 19, she married a clergyman named Samuel Wesley. But they had known each other mainly through the exchange of letters. They hadn't really known each other very well. And as soon as they got married they saw they didn't have very much in common. And it was a rocky marriage. They were both stubborn as could be. He was impetuous. He got in debt that plagued them throughout their lives together. And finally, the straw that broke the camel's back and caused him to leave her for a year was an argument over politics. And he prayed a traditional prayer of blessing on the king of England and she was supposed to say amen and she refused to say amen because she didn't believe the king was the legitimate leader of the country. He was a Dutch, not English, and many people didn't think he was a legitimate king. She wouldn't say the amen. Seems like a little thing, doesn't it? But remember, they were deeply in debt. Debt will stress your marriage. Often your marriage comes to a point of crisis over a little thing when there's a lot of other things underneath. Seemingly little thing, he left her because she didn't say the amen to a prayer he prayed. He stayed gone for a year and the only reason he came back is their house burnt down. And he came back to rebuild the house and they got back together and continued to live together as as husband and wife throughout the rest of their lives. They had a lot of trouble. House burnt down a second time. He got into debtor's prison. She tried to send her wedding rings to pay off the debts to get in. They just had a lot of trouble. Throughout the course of their marriage, she gave birth to 19 children, some of them sets of twins. Nine of them did not survive infancy. Ten of them she raised. She knew tragedy and heartbreak repeatedly. She raised 10 children. She raised them and she taught both boys and girls how to read and write. Doesn't sound unusual now. It was unusual then to give a girl the same education as a boy. She was the beginner of what is called homeschooling. She was the founder of what is called worldview education, where you teach not only facts, but you teach an outlook on life rooted in a worldview. She gave her children a biblical, theological worldview. When textbooks were not available, she wrote her own textbooks to teach her ten children. She she was a disciplinarian. She had a routine, a strict, you might call it a method that they had to go through every day. Two of her children grew up to be famous. John and Charles Wesley founded the Methodist Church in Oxford in college. They were in a club that had daily prayer 
fasting, Bible study. It was methodical. It was a term of derision that was given to them. Those Methodists and the method that they got from their mother became the name of a denomination that in that day when the Church of England was cold and there was no, it breathed fire and revival into Christianity in England and spawned a worldwide movement. Not only the, the church, but the Methodists. John and Charles Wesley brought prison reform, brought laws against the cruelty of animal, child labor laws, and the abolition of slavery can all be traced to the work of Charles and John Wesley. And Charles Wesley wrote songs that we still sing. Christ the Lord is risen today. Hark the herald angels sing. Come thou long expected Jesus. All came to us from this son of Susanna Wesley. What was she? She was a mother. But as a mother, we are still indebted today to a world that is better because of her methodical teaching. Just as today we are indebted to a mother named Mary who even though like Susanna Wesley, she was not perfect. She was a sinner saved by the grace of God. But she gave her life to raise for us a Messiah named Jesus. What's the trajectory of your life and your faith in Jesus? What will it be this Christmas? What would you say? about Jesus. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, I pray especially to those today who maybe can identify with the story of Mary in some way. Perhaps there's a mother here today who would give their life to Jesus, who would commit themselves to raising their children to love Jesus, no matter what else they do or don't do. That Lord, I pray for moms here today. And Lord, I pray for both men and women, boys and girls, who maybe started as Mary did and then found themselves in the middle sort of floundering, not knowing, wondering. And I would pray for them that they would recover a sense of faith in Jesus Christ as Mary did and come to see who he really is in spite of our failures and detours in life. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. After our closing uh, today, I'll be at the Welcome Center. If you want to confess your faith in Jesus Christ, we'll have baptism next Sunday. You could be baptized next Sunday. What a great time at Christmas to be baptized. Meet me at the Welcome Center. We'll plan for that. I want to invite you if you want to join our church. We had a family last Sunday. Join our church. Just meet me there. You can join our church. If you want somebody to talk to about your faith trajectory, I'd be glad to talk to you. Thank you for being here today. Will you stand with me and let's sing together. It's Christmas. Mm-hmm.